Hello and welcome to another episode of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. Hello, this is Lee. This is episode 33. It is early September and today I'm going to talk to you about uh, feeding bees. Been doing a lot of feeding lately. Um, uh, some hints on avoiding pests like uh, hive beetles and wax moths this time of year. And tell you a little tidbit I recently came across about yet another advantage of brood breaking during the summer season. And I'll tell you just a little bit about my current obsession, which is the bee barn. But first, if I sound fuzzy-headed and congested, it's because <laughs> I've had a uh, birthday this weekend, and so there's been a lot of cake and red wine. And um, then this morning, it took a while for Merkel to settle down and get quiet and get out of the loud bone-chewing phase of his morning. And so he's here, but he's asleep. Merkel the Dachshund, if you haven't seen him on Facebook. But yes, so it was a birthday, and I did put out a birthday wish on my personal page on Facebook, which is Lee Diggs. And that is, all of you know that there has been some type of bee plant, a bee tree or a bee shrub that you've been wanting to plant. And so I wanted to put out my birthday wish that plant a tree or a shrub for the bees this fall. And the reason I emphasize trees and shrubs, as I've said before, is they just have a longevity and a regularity that the little bee flowers that we plant can't match unless you're planting an entire meadow of flowers. Um, but you know, one bee tree can outlive us and provide nectar and pollen for bees for all, you know, for years. And uh, that's, I like to emphasize that. Um, at talk to beekeepers in your area about what are great bee trees for your area. Um, one of the trees that people don't think of a lot for bees are the willows. And of course, you have to keep these well away from any um, septic and water lines. But the uh, willows are nice because they have that early, early season pollen. And we have alders here in the Blue Ridge that often grow along the streams. And that also has those lovely catkins that hang down and provide pollen in the early spring. So. There's also the beautiful pussy willows, which are much uh, more, uh, less aggressive in terms of their roots if you're planting in a more city, urban, suburban area. And um, a lot of the pussy willows have that, not only do they have those lovely, uh, whatever they look, oh, I guess they're catkins too, probably, that you can cut and bring in in the spring before it gets pretty. And it's very nice to remind you that spring is indeed coming, but the bees love them too. I ordered a whole bunch of them from Vermont Willow Farm and they send them in little cuttings and you just root them. They root totally instantly um, and then you have to kind of grow them out for a season and plant them in the fall. And I have just buckets and buckets of new pussy willows to put out. I've been studying on which ones keep good looking, you know, even in the summer stress. So I've kind of separated them into the ones that stay good looking and the ones that look raggedy as far as where to put them on the farm. But so anyway, that is my birthday request to plant a tree or a shrub for bees this fall. And if you do, I would just love to hear what you planted, uh, where you are, because of course, all these are going to be specific to where you are. And, um, you know, another part of September is feeding bees, at least for me. 
and now these aren't usually my full-grown hives as I've said before my full-grown hives I really make a point of leaving enough honey or attempting to leave enough honey when I harvest so that they will still have enough um, for the fall and winter obviously that has to be checked on a regular basis because you might have an extremely dry fall like we have been having extremely dry the bees have not had a flow often we get a fall flow from wildflowers and goldenrod in particular goldenrod's a really finicky plant though you can see just fields of it bright yellow and it's possible the bees can be getting no nectar um, they are getting pollen from it but uh, this is again you just if you want your bees to survive in my opinion you have to keep a close eye on things even if you're not opening the hive getting used to tilting the hive to check the weight on a regular basis um, is important and also when you're new I think it's important like if you've done a hive inspection you've looked in there and you've kind of gotten a sense of whether there's a lot of honey or there's no honey or there's a medium amount of honey once you close it back up before you put the rock back on top um, tilt that hive and and feel the weight of it uh, hold on to it because <laughs> if you're strong you can just throw that thing right off the uh, hive stand if it's too light but um, you know put one hand on top and one hand on the the bottom and just tilt it um, a little bit and get a feeling for that weight and you will start to get a muscle memory of what's enough honey what's not enough honey I know one of the things I, I like to just be able to pick them up and just feel like they feel like they're full of bricks that's the ideal um, situation to me in most cases I'll tell you and you know as in beekeeping nothing is all the time <laughs> nothing is a hundred percent all the time there's all the well except when and um, that's one of the issues we'll cover so let me just jump right into feeding the thing I have learned over the years about feeding bees if you realize that they're not going to have enough honey to make it through there's several reasons that can happen one if you have a new hive then you know they've been working to draw out comb as you know they have to use you know nine pounds of honey now just think about that a second because honey is dehydrated nectar so I forget what the ratio is but let's just say you know they may have to collect nine pounds of nectar to get one pound of honey I'm not sure on that ratio I'll look it up but it's a lot and then they have to use nine pounds of honey to make one pound of wax so I think that puts in perspective when you think about each bee bringing its little drop of nectar back to the hive I think that puts in perspective how hard they have to work to build comb comb is always going to be the magic uh, of your hive in both the good sense and in the limiting sense and so that's why it's so important to protect that comb when you store it do not let wax moths or other critters get your comb I mean it can happen I've lost plenty of comb but do your best really be attentive to looking up ways to keeping wax moths out of your comb here's a side note my first tangent of the of the podcast um, when I was at the conference recently I saw this new synthetic comb I can't remember if I said this in the last podcast but it is a synthetic comb it is made out of a synthetic wax that's all food grade material but it's very you pick it up it looks like the most perfect drawn comb or pulled comb as they say in different parts of the country uh, that you've ever seen and it is synthetic 
Now, it's also expensive. I think it's about at least, even if you buy it in a carton, I think it seems like it was at least $8 a, uh, a frame. So it's very expensive. But uh, as I have talked about with other beekeepers since, and as some folks wrote in to tell me about that they were doing experiments with this stuff, it's a real game changer for brand new beekeepers if you can afford it. Um, because drawn comb is always the hardest, the hardest way to get that package or that new going um, until you have a stash, after which it becomes effortless almost. Um, but so there is this fake comb out there. It's pretty convincing. You feel of it. It feels remarkably like comb. It's allegedly made of uh, food grade materials. Now, you know, there's probably some consequence to using it as with everything. Uh, it has a good side and a bad side, probably. I don't know what those are yet. I know the good side would be to have some drawn comb. But uh, that was just a little aside that that product is out there. So if you are going to um, start with a, if you're brand new, you're just collecting your equipment. <laughs> you can add this to the already incredibly expensive list of equipment that you may have uh, if you're going the equi the expensive equipment route. You could be going a very inexpensive homemade uh, top bar or Sam Comfort High route, in which case that's never mind all this. But um, anyway, that comb could be a game changer in terms of um, uh, making split. Well, I started saying making splits, but if you're making splits, you probably have a hive that is going and has enough comb to do it. Okay, see I'm off track already, but by now you know that's how I am. So back to feeding bees because it's September and I really hope that everybody will be attentive to how much food your bees have. Be aware that it could go backwards and this has happened to me this fall in some hives. You know, some of my medium-sized hives, I didn't take honey off of them, but I built them up enough, and I thought, okay, you know, that's a decent amount of weight, and if I get lucky and get a good goldenrod flow, they're going to be packed out for the winter, won't have to do any feeding. Um, but that is not been the case in most of the medium-sized hives, and when for me, medium-sized hives are splits that I started early in the season, and they've had time to build up. Um, and so they've probably, probably, you know, um, gotten enough honey going, or at least that's what I thought. But now we've had this incredibly dry August, September so far, dry as a bone. And so they're not really adding any weight. In fact, the more populated hives are kind of going backwards. So I'm keeping a close eye on that. The reason I'm keeping such a close eye is for places like where I am, where you get cool nights fairly early in the fall, um, usually we're ha starting to have some by now, but um, not yet. So I've got my windows a little extended. Down south, you guys have a lot longer window. Um, up north, you guys have a shorter window. So there's only a certain amount of time you can feed liquid sugar or liquid sugar syrup. That's because it gets too, on the nights, it gets too chilly. And bees being insects, they can't take in um, fluids colder than their, their body without getting chilled. And without, you know, if the nights are cold, that syrup, which is already heavier than, than plain water, it gets cold. Um, in most cases, it's covered up, you know, with a hive box. It's somehow in the shade of that hive. So it doesn't warm up to bee eating temperature 
maybe maybe at all depending on how cold it is or maybe to the end of the day and they've only got this limited amount of time to to uh, take in that syrup where it won't hurt them so what this means is when you have these um, long warm fall days this is your chance to put weight on your hive if you don't have it already um, again I'm hoping that your hive is light because it's a hive you started um, not because it's a hive you took too much honey off of which that can happen to anybody don't feel bad if you did it feeding honey back is really tricky I, I frankly just don't don't do it if I've accidentally taken too much honey off and I've taken it out of the comb now if I've stashed it in the comb in the freezer then I can just warm that baby off and put that super on there it's done they've got enough honey um, but if I've taken it out of the comb if I've extracted it then to me it's just too complicated to feed it back to them and with too many risks involved uh, regarding what could be in that honey um, I you know I don't designate which honey came off which hive which came out of which yard so um, you know, that just creates the possibility that, you know, any speck of, of some of the diseases that can be carried in food in any part of any yard could be in that honey. So to me, it's just not worth the risk. Plus, it's a big pain in the butt because honey, if you water it down, which I've heard of people do, and I just can't imagine that because it ferments pretty much instantly, if you almost instantly, if you water it down. So I just use the safer, in my opinion, the safer route and going with uh, sugar syrup. I use cane sugar just because that's what I've been taught to do because I've been um, told that there's some potential risk of the, the GMO beets. Um, I'm not so frankly worried about the, the GMO part, but I'm worried about what the GMO part is for. And they are modified usually in the GMO crops in order to withstand Roundup. And Roundup, as I recently learned at the conference, I mean, I was always suspicious of what it was doing. Um, because it ties up minerals in the soil from the plant which to me means the minerals aren't then in the food but then recently as I talked about a podcast or two ago at the conference um, Roundup also affects gut microbes in um, anything any uh, creature that eats it afterwards and so I just don't want the Roundup residue in GMO beets having any potential impact that I can avoid on my bees gut microbes because that is critical um, to their survival so that's why I use cane sugar but do do whatever you do and try it out and see how it works for you um, so um, cane sugar says it on the bag and I use the syrup now I want to talk about the different kinds of syrup and this is more for the beginners but hopefully some of the intermediate you can use uh, some of this information maybe to adjust your syrup feeding to the particular needs of your hive. So, okay, back to the beginning. Syrup feeding. You're going to be mixing it with water. Typically, people either mix syrup, sugar syrup, one-to-one, -one, which is one portion of water to one portion of syrup, or two-to-one, two portions of sugar. I'm sorry, I, let me say that again. One-to-one -one is one portion sugar, one portion water. Two to one, two portions of sugar, one portion water. And when I say portion, um, since these are ratios, you can do it either by weight or volume. And to be honest, it's not, this is not rocket science. The bees can adjust within a certain range. So don't get all tied up on, you know, weighing um, things. You know, if, um, if, the, if the bag says four pounds of sugar and you want to use... Um, uh, 
four pounds of, of water, you know, ballpark it the best you can. One of the handiest things anybody told me is that a solo cup, these are the full-size solo cup, cups. I almost said red. I don't know why. We always get red. But the full-size, you know, picnic plastic solo cups weighs one pound. I mean, not the cup, but the what you put in it. If you put a if you fill it up with sugar, it weighs about a pound. If you fill it up with water, it weighs about a pound. It is close enough. It is um, uh, really fun to take, uh, like if I have a small bag of sugar and I'm just doing a pitcher full for something, um, you can take that four-pound bag of sugar, and then if you're doing one-to-one, -one, take four solo cups full of uh, warm water and mix it. Stir it real good. If you're doing one-to-one, -one, you can mix it by hand or hand mixer. Um, you can, the kind you use for cakes your spouse is probably not going to be happy with that sticky sugar syrup on it I have uh, found it's much better to use the little the little paddle that you get at Lowe's to mix a one gallon can of paint on my cordless drill and that thing you have to watch it because it it will slosh it right out of a small container but go slow at first till you see how high the wake is <laughs> but um those mix great one-to-one -one mix you can just shake it in in a in a jug and one to one will mix but two to one is harder um, I don't really want to mess with a bunch of boiling water in this type thing um, just for for speed and uh, I don't want to have to wait for it to cool and all those lazy beekeeper reasons so uh, Michael Bush on his website he talks about that two to one is a little bit hard to get to mix and stay you know where it doesn't uh, the sugar doesn't fall out on the bottom of the liquid and he uses a five to three ratio as five parts sugar and three parts water so that's a little less it's a little more dilute than true two to one um, but it mixes a lot easier and as long as you have time and by time beginners what I mean is you want to get that feed on there not just so they can get it in the comb but that so they can cap it and this is a big deal because if they have a whole super full of open frames of nectar then as soon as your environment gets humid if you're in a place where that happens which that's the entire east um, it, as soon as it gets humid it absorbs water it creates a wet environment inside the hive and it risks fermenting because sugar water will can ferment quite quickly um, and and the fermenting might not be such a bad thing but but can also mold and that combination it's not that your bees might not survive a little bit of that but it's just you don't want to throw any additional challenges at bees that they don't already have uh, in life so in my opinion taking care to try to avoid that and one of the ways is to get to feeding early that way they have time to use it to get it in there to dehydrate it and to cap it so that it is as you know as close to honey as uh, as we can get and it not um, be honey so here's where you come to the part where you use the type of syrup that you need for the the purpose that you are putting it on if you are trying to add weight to a hive like in the fall you want to get them bulked up so they will have storage of capped sugar water honey for the winter then you want to use heavy syrup which is the two to one or the almost as good five to three um, so heavy syrup is for adding weight light syrup which is your one to one that's something you use more in the spring and summer um, and that is something they're going to it, it mimics nectar closer to nectar and um, that is going to encourage the queen to lay a bunch of brood make a bunch of brood the bees consume this um, they feed it to the brood so it's it's very connected with uh, brood production 
and this time of year you probably don't want brood production emphasized in a full-size hive. Now here's where the asterisk is because there are situations where you do want brood production. For example, and at a lot of the little nukes, these are late summer nukes, and they are um, for my upcoming hopeful project of the bee barn. But they're going to be, they're small nukes, and I want them to have as much population as they can build. I'm happy to feed them because I'm building, you know, these started with three frames uh, not so long ago, um, like a couple month, a month or so ago. And um, I want that queen to keep laying. Depending on the lineage of your bees, if your bees have like, for example, Carniolan lineage or Russian lineage, they are very responsive to the flow. Um, I've emphasized this before. Italians, less responsive. They just make babies. Um, they, they are focused on making the brood. And if the flow cuts off and they run out of food, then there's just a bunch of bees that starve to death. Um, th they are tend to be less frugal with their stores. The more frugal races of bees, the uh, Russians and the, uh, I don't really know that much about the Caucasians, but the Carniolans, they tend to be more frugal. And so what happens is when the flow shuts down, the queen cuts back in laying. This has gotten me in trouble in the past before in these dry falls. And this is why I'm super cautious now, because some of my smaller, uh, newer baby hives, that queen... I found out in hindsight, you know, she had cut back, she had made, she had drawn back her brood nest to a very small brood nest very early in the fall or even in the late summer. And what that meant in my particular climate is then it can get chilly quite suddenly in October or, or not, <laughs> you know, you know how that is. Um, so that can catch a hive. So I would have these, um, what had been young baby hives building up. Then the queen has cut back on laying because the flow has stopped out there in the world. And I was like, oh, they got good weight, so I don't need to add anything to them. But so then she had too small of a brood nest. Then they went into winter with too small of a cluster to survive. Because depending on how cold your particular winters get, there is simply X amount of bees that it's going to require to get through winter. And that's going to vary a lot depending on where you are. And so up north, like, you know, the Michael Palmer videos, you, you get these monstrous hives and they go through Vermont winters because there's plenty of bees because a lot of those bees are going to die off um, naturally over the winter. But in, in more southern climates, you don't need a cluster that big. And so here, what I need is a, you know, a good solid medium-sized cluster and I had uh, shot myself in the foot on that because I had not fed bees that had enough weight but they didn't have enough population and this is some fine-tuning so now in very strategic circumstances I actually use lighter syrup which to be honest I'm ballparking it it's just you know it's a little bit thicker than one to one and probably a little bit thinner than five to three um, I use kind of this lighter syrup that in my mind, <laughs> and it actually seems to be working a little, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing they are still raising brood and, and actually drawing wax, which is a beautiful thing to see in these little hives. But um, I am keeping the brood rearing going to keep that population by using the thinner syrup. And this is the other fine tuning part. When you are feeding for brood rearing, then you are doing what I've referred to as trickle feeding. Now, this time of year, it's kind of a strong trickle, but, um, and that by that, I mean you're feeding uh, some every day, a small amount um, 
for them you don't literally have to put it on there every day but in some type of feeder where they're just you know they get it kind of slowly and they're uh, building up like that on the other hand if you're trying to add weight with the heavier syrup what you're aiming for is to put a lot of feed and let me put an asterisk on a lot because you want to balance that to the population of the hive and you want an amount that the bees can can get in the comb and start processing with their enzymes um, which delay fermentation um, you you want to get that on in bulk and that's when people especially the commercial feeders use those big hive top feeders I don't use those because I hardly ever need that much um, feed on my hives but I do have my biggest hive my biggest hive feeders like a one gallon and I have a one gallon um, bucket like thing that sits on top of the hive and then a box goes around it and then I also have a double frame feeder now I use all mediums so that double frame feeder for me holds a gallon of syrup and for the amounts that I usually need to feed which is usually not much um, if it's a good summer it's not any but um, those can really add add some weight on fairly quickly and avoid the dreaded um, fermentation or the dreaded running out of time and they don't have enough time to get it on there. Now let's talk about this fermentation because the fermenting and the, the worse the molding or both um, if you've ever left sugar water sitting around in a jug in your basement for a while it, you will see it gets mold in it very quickly. Now the food additive um, bee food additive honey bee healthy uh, it is it there it has oils in it natural oils that will prevent fermentation and it's great at preventing fermentation which you can discover if you accidentally have a jug of syrup left over from last year in your basement and um, it didn't have a speck of mold in it now I didn't use it just out of caution for the bees but um but it didn't have a speck of mold in it so the stuff really does work that's the upside the downside is at least in my yard if you have multiple hives particularly if you have little hives in the same area as big hives it is it can be a death sentence because they smell honeybee healthy from anywhere I can mix it up in my kitchen window and I have a swarm of bees outside my kitchen window screens pretty much instantly because they smell that honeybee healthy and they go bonkers for it um, it is a feeding stimulant and it does work for that the downside is it will create um, if you don't have it sealed up tight it can very easily create a robbing situation which is ugly and I've talked about before and you want to do everything in your power to prevent robbing or God forbid stop it if it if it starts um, and the honeybee healthy is uh, it's kryptonite <laughs> uh, because it just creates a bunch of robbing my bees so I had switched to kind of just adding some vinegar and you can look up online this is not an exact science there is some risk involved if you get the you know if you get the acidity off about whether your bees either won't take it or I don't you know I don't know how badly it might um, hurt them I go very carefully with all this messing with all this but um, my bees then trained up to the smell of vinegar now they will rob at the smell of vinegar so I um, again a tip from Michael Bush um, use citric acid from the canning department and it's essentially you know vitamin C but it's used in canning to acidify things and um, the catch with this is again it all depends on the pH of your water how acidic the pH of your syrup is going to be now let me back up the thinking behind this and you'll just need to look this up goggle it <laughs> as we say at our house google it um, and about the pH of honey is much more acidic 
a low pH than the acidity of sugar water, which is usually quite, um, what would be the other, um, high, high pH, which is not good in terms of um, some of the bee diseases, gut diseases, and also with the fermenting and with the molding. So some people try to adjust the acidity of their sugar water. Now, beginners, let me just say, if this is all freaking you out, do not worry. If your bees are light, just give them sugar water and do your best um, because uh, this fine tuning will come later. But do not let it stop you from feeding. That's That can be really a, be a hazard to a beginner about you, you realize that the subtle it can get everything can get very subtle <laughs> as you get more into this and um, but just don't let it stop you from doing the most important thing which is feeding your bees but if you're into the if you're trying to fine-tune things um, depending on the pH of your water and you can actually get pH strips and figure this out you can figure out how much um, citric acid is needed and it's tiny amounts uh, for my particular water to get a ratio that I'm pretty happy with uh, it ends up being like barely an eighth of a teaspoon of citric acid to a gallon I mean barely an eighth will make it plenty acidic because um, I'm starting with fairly acidic water and um, so anyway that's one way if you look up acidifying sugar syrup for bees um, and just start doing doing some reading you will um, you'll find more than you ever wanted to know and again with the feeding you want to avoid dripping any you want to afford you know avoid any spills you want to be very careful about this so get your syrup into jugs or um, whatever it takes for you to be able to accurately get it in the feeder without spilling any and the type of feeder is totally up to you. Again, it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to keep them laying, then or or if it's a little tiny hive, I I'll, all the feeders I like. Well, first of all, the basic you know first of all, do not ever 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 use the entrance boardman feeders for feeding sugar syrup in the fall. In my opinion, this is just kind of just begging for all kinds of trouble, and it's because it's because it's too close to the entrance and that's too hard for them to fend off all the things that want that sugar water. Um, what I prefer is any kind of feeder where any intruder or robber would basically have to go up into that, you know, would have to fend off that entire hive of bees to get up to the feeder um, in the top. So I use um, mason jars, I use frame feeders and I put them up in a top uh, box obviously so it's just easy to take the lid tilt the lid back and fill up that feeder and then what you want to make sure on that is that you have sealed up your top entrances now again nothing easy as in beekeeping I, I also want to be aware that my bees still have good ventilation so I use the little uh, number eight I believe it is bee hardware cloth or even window screen and cover the slot on the inner cover with thumbtacks and window screen or hardware cloth so that I can actually leave ventilation but without allowing robbers in. Um, this may be, you know, too much trouble. And if you know your bees, then you know what you need to do. But the basic thing for beginners is to avoid leaks. The other thing that I have learned to like about mason jars, um, my probably my second favorite are the little bunt pan feeders. They call them rapid feeders. You will see these used extensively. Like if you ever look at the barnyard bees uh, videos, they use those almost entirely. They used to be really hard to find, but now more people are getting them. And uh, they look a lot like a bunt pan with a plastic thing that 
well, it's, you'll have to look at them online, but they have two plastic pieces. Um, well, actually, it's a three-piece feeder. One is the plastic bunt-like pan, and then the other is looks like a little cup that goes over the funnel in the middle. And that's the only part that the bees are, are in. It, it limits the amount of surface area of the fluid that the bees can get to and thus drown less. And then it's got a lid over the whole thing. And there's several things I love about this feeder. One is it's only accessible from the bees inside the hive because you set it over the hole in your inner cover. And um, it does not drown bees um, as long as you keep that cup part pushed down tight where it's supposed to be. They can't really get out into the the part even when it's empty um, and then it also has an outer lid which keeps the syrup not exposed to as much air which reduces all the fermentation mold problems we've been talking about also it reduces the amount of sugar water odor in the air which reduces robbing so there's a lot to love about those feeders they hold um, the one I have holds about a half gallon which is really good um, for most medium-sized feeding needs I also have, like I said, the frame feeders. You can get single frame feeders or double frame feeders. Double frame obviously holds more. You can buy them with what they call cap and ladders, which cover the surface area of the sugar, which I like that. And then the ladders are these little hard plastic um, tubes that go down in there, again, to give the, the bees less place to drown. I mean, they'll still manage to do it. I like the caps and ladders. I do invest in them. The little single frame medium feeders that the only ones I could find don't have caps and ladders because it's a pretty little feeder. So what I did is I took an old uh, beat up plastic queen excluder and I just cut, um, cut a slice of it so that it fits down in that frame and so now in there in the middle you have that queen excluder which acts like a ladder that they can climb up and down I haven't had any drowning problems since I've used that thing you could probably also use there's lots of um, plastic fencing uh, anything that's rigid and and plastic that you and and that's either screen like or uh, fenced like that's pretty close mesh you could cut that stuff up to make um, ladders inside your feeders. I've also heard of people um, stuffing them with pine straw. A trick from Brian Fisher that I got reminded of at the last conference, he talked about when he started he didn't want to invest a lot of money in feeders. So what he did was in an extra box on top, an empty box on top of the inner cover, um, that way you can all seal this up, he would take a half gallon milk jug, so okay, a half gallon milk jug, keep the lid on, wash it out very thoroughly, and then Basically, if you imagine laying it on its side, he would then cut out the panel that would be the upside. So now you have, you know, kind of a, um, a cheap and easy bowl, if you will. And what he would do, and this part's very important, he would stuff that thing with pine needles and then fill it up with syrup and lay it on its side and put it in there. And that way the pine needles, you know, act as a ladder for them. And um, that is about the most low-cost feeder. He also said on his 10-frame uh, hives that he could line up three of those in inside that. And so you could be feeding a gallon and a half at a time with a free uh, feeder if you needed to. So that was a handy tip from my absolute, one of my absolute favorite beekeepers, Brian Fisher. Um, so that's been a high-speed overview of feeding. And I hope beginners that you've gotten the high points which is first of all just feed second of all 
use two to one to add weight. Third of all, don't let any get on anything that attracts robbers. And also very important, just use some type of feeder where any robbing, where that robber would have to run the gauntlet of that entire population of bees in order to get to it. So do whatever protecting you need for that. Now, of course, those other five topics that I were going to tell you was going to tell you about, I didn't get to, even though I've been talking really fast this time because the time has gone fast on my little recorder device. I'm already over my 30 minutes. Um, but there's a lot to get in. This this feeding, you know, it's like with everything with bees. Sounds simple. Feed them sugar water if you need to for uh, to add weight if they don't have it. But it's not that simple. So next time, my goal, <laughs> my mission, if I can manage it, is to uh, talk to you a little bit more about um, uses of feeding and then also tell you about the bee barn and work on that avoiding pests. I'm going to I'm gonna try to just go ahead and do that in like the middle of this week because I got behind a little bit with the holiday and with all the birthday um, partying. Hope you guys have a wonderful few days till I talk to you again. Please write me on Facebook and tell me what you're up to. It is Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. I love to hear from you. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.